Mother Earth is pregnant for the third time, for y'all have locked her up. I have tasted the maggots in the mind of the universe. I was not offended, for I knew I had to rise above it all or drown in my own shit. Radio Mano Papachango. We all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. We don't want to hate and despise one another. In this world, there's room for everyone, and the good earth is rich and can provide for everyone. The way of life can be free and beautiful, but we have lost the way. Greed has poisoned men's souls, has barricaded the world with hate, has goose-stepped us into misery and bloodshed. We've developed speed, but we've shut ourselves in. Machinery that gives abundance has left us in want. Our knowledge has made us cynical, our cleverness hard and unkind. We think too much and feel too little. More than machinery, we need humanity. More than cleverness, we need kindness and gentleness. Without these qualities, life will be violent and all will be lost. The airplane and the radio have brought us closer together. The very nature of these inventions cries out for the goodness in man, cries out for universal brotherhood, for the unity of us all. Even now, my voice is reaching millions throughout the world, millions of despairing men and women and little children, victims of a system that makes men torture and imprison innocent people. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die, and the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. Only the unloved hate, the unloved and the unnatural. Don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty. In the 17th chapter of St. Luke, it is written, The kingdom of God is within man. Not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you. You, the people, have the power. The power to create machines. The power to create happiness. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful. To make this life a wonderful adventure. In the name of democracy, let us use that power. Let us all unite. Let us fight for a new world, a decent world, that will give men a chance to work, that will give youth a future and old age a security. By the promise of these things, brutes have risen to power, but they lie. They do not fulfill their, their promise. They never will. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. Now let us fight to fulfill that promise. Let us fight to free the world, to do away with national barriers, to do away with greed, with hate and intolerance. Let us fight for a world of reason, a world where science and progress will lead to all men's happiness. Soldiers, in the name of democracy, let us all unite. That's from 
a speech called The Final Speech of the Great Dictator, delivered by uh, Charlie Chaplin in 1940. A friend had recommended that to me months ago, and I never got around to checking it out. And then when I did check it out, it's like, holy shit, that's why she recommended it to me. It's so timely and ties in so much with what I'm trying to say in Civilized to Death. Uh, it's, it's incredible. On YouTube, you can see Charlie Chaplin delivering the speech better than I did. Um, but I wanted to play with your head a little bit there. Maybe you thought that was me talking. It was me talking, of course, but not my words. Um, yeah, so 1940, people were talking about this stuff. The false promises of dictators. The eternal hope of human nature. Because the truth is, we're not built for this shit. That's why we break down. That's why it's so hard for us. That's why so many of us are unhappy. Even in this time of plentitude. That opening craziness was from Maggot Brain by Funkadelic. Check it out. That whole song is incredible. Uh, I read recently that um, when George Clinton uh, was sort of giving notes to the guitarist Eddie Hazel, I think his name was, um, he said, just think of the saddest thing you can think of in your life and play what you're feeling. And Eddie Hazel thought of his mother's death. And so there are these long guitar solos in that song that is a man playing about his, his mother's death. Uh, which isn't, I mean, it's a lot more fun to, sound, to listen to than that sounds, I have to say. I don't mean to bring you down. This week's episode features Georgina Haig, who's an Australian actress or actor depending. I'm not sure still what's the right terminology there. Um, she, I met her on, uh, on a plane. Uh, we sat next to each other and, uh, it was one of those sort of fantastic, but very rare plane situations where you happen to be sitting next to someone who's just utterly fascinating and cool and relaxed and funny. And, uh, I think within, you know, two minutes of us chatting, we were talking about I don't know what it was, orgasms and diarrhea, and I, I don't know. But it was clear that, you know, this was going to be a no-holds-barred conversation with someone who was not easily offended or freaked out. And uh, it was, by the time we got to L.A., we were fast friends. Uh, and uh, then my sister was coming to pick me up, and, and Georgina and her husband went needed a ride somewhere, and they were going to call an Uber, and I was like, fuck it, man, come with my sister, and so they met my sister, and um, yeah, so we're pals now, great, so she agreed to be on the podcast, as you'll hear, she's just back from shooting a harrowing um, gulag-based film, she's, I forget how many months pregnant she is, but she's quite pregnant, and uh She's fascinating. She's funny and cool and beautiful and extremely candid and open and just a wonderful, wonderful person who I know you're going to enjoy meeting. And uh, hey, here's hoping, you know, she becomes a megastar because God knows we need more megastars who have their shit together. 
I'm going to keep the intro pretty simple this time. Not that there there isn't stuff going on that I could bring you up to date on, but uh, things are sort of in a state of flux, and I don't want to talk about uh, I don't want to talk about the book um, publicly until I figure out what the hell I'm doing. But I'll have news on that front uh, shortly. Thank you to all of you who wrote to me um, expressing your your opinions and your encouragement and your your hesitations and everything else after the intro to the last episode where I talked about the conundrum and the conflicts that I'm feeling around this project. It's so cool, really, really. It is so cool for people to be writing to me from, you know, dropping out of the sky and uh, expressing your, your support and your concern. You know, I feel like I've got so many friends that I haven't met and that's a wonderful beautiful feeling to have. So I really thank you for that. Um, anyway, I'm going to just leave it there and, uh, maybe I'll have more to say. I'll, I'll probably do a, a Roma this week at some point, cause I've got some, some emails that have been piling up that I want to respond to some really interesting, um, inquiries and statements and so on. So stay tuned for that. That'll be coming randomly at some point during the week, depending, uh, you know, how much time I get for stuff, but it's beautiful in Topanga. I've been doing a lot of hiking. Uh, a wonderful friend from Sweden, uh, has been visiting actually someone who listens to the podcast and she and I have done a lot of hiking and exploring in the mountains. So it's been, uh, it's been great here. Feeling good. Everything's wonderful. Hope you're feeling good. Hope everything's wonderful where you are. And uh, as always, a special thanks to those of you who are financially supporting the podcast through Patreon.com or through my Amazon affiliate link at ChrisRyanPhD.com. Click on that sucker and four to eight percent of whatever you spend comes to support the podcast. So that's pretty cool. And I may need that money much more desperately very soon. <laughs> so I'll be, I'll be uh, pleading for support with uh, a special desperation in my voice within a week or two. Anyway, we'll wait and see what happens with that. Thank you for listening to the podcast. And thanks for telling your friends. Thanks for reviewing it on iTunes. If you're subscribed to iTunes, it's always nice to leave a review, uh, leave a rating that sort of shows potential guests that... It's a podcast that's taken seriously by fans, and, and that's a way to sort of verify, because I tell them how many downloads I get, but, you know, they don't know if I'm lying. So it's nice if they look on iTunes and they see a thousand or whatever it is uh, reviews, that means people are listening to it. So I really appreciate that. It doesn't cost anything more than a couple of minutes, but it really does help me do what I'm trying to do here. So hope everything's cool where you are. Thanks for listening. And thanks for uh, letting my voice into your head again. I'm going to play Georgina in with a totally cliched reference to Australia here, but Colin Hay happens to be one of my favorite artists. Uh, he was the front guy for um, Men at Work, and you'll recognize this tune. It's sort of the most famous Australia-based song, uh, I think, in the world. Possibly Beds Are Burning by Midnight Oil, which is another great tune, but uh, I really like this as an acoustic version of, uh, what is it, I Come From the Land Down Under, which uh, everyone's heard, I think, at this point on the planet, but this is an acoustic version from his solo work. Colin Hay, I Come From the Land Down Under, as does Georgina Haig. Hope you enjoy this. Ciao.
I'm sitting in a Hollywood dining room with an up-and-coming actress, an up-and-coming, fresh-faced <laughs> oh young, young oh, actor. I call you an actor or an actress. I don't mind. I, I met a woman at a party, and I, asked, you know, I said something about her being an actress, and she's like, she got really offended. She said, really? I'm an actor. Mm. And I thought, well, I mean, I'll call you whatever you want, but I, I mean, does that mean, is it insulting to call, should I call my aunt my uncle? I mean, you know, why does it matter that there's a female version and a male version? 
But anyway, so I'll call you whatever you want. What do I call you? An artiste? I, a thespian? Yeah, that's fine. I mean... I Georgina is your name. Yeah. What, what's your... You have two last names, right? Yes. So yes. What's, what name do you want to be known by well, in my, the podcast world? Well, my professional name is Haig. Um, that's my maiden name. And then I'm married, so I use... Um, my married name, Mapleston, legally. So uh, I feel like it's right. getting to use the best of both worlds. It's good. Yeah. I struggle with it a little bit being, you know, feminist and stuff. People are like, why would you change your name legally? And it is a pain in the ass. Like, yeah. it's it's the worst having to change it on passports and stuff. So really, I probably shouldn't have done it. I just liked the name, though. You know, if, if my husband's last name was something horrible, I probably just <laughs> would have stuck with Hague. But yeah. 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 Hague's in a, Hague's, Hague to me resonates with a politician, Alexander Haig, who was kind of a horrible guy in the Reagan administration. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, so, dear. yeah. But. Well, I'm not attached to it was a long in time the same ago. way as some people are too, because my surname got changed when I was seven. Oh, really? My dad, it was originally Hag, H A double G. And my dad just got sick of. Um, I don't know, the sort of gentle teasing or whatever he was experiencing um, from it. And he just changed it to Hague. And so I've never really had this sort of attachment to names and ancestry in the same way maybe some people do anyway. I'm the same. I don't give a damn. Like, even when people ask me my name, like, I'm sorry, I forgot your name. I just always feel like saying, like, it doesn't, who cares? Yeah. Call me whatever the fuck you want to call me. Because it's so arbitrary. Like, if our names were, like, American Indian names, you know, like, mm-hmm. Facing the Rising Sun or, you know, something meaningful and beautiful that refers to a moment in your life. But it's like, pick a name out of the fucking Bible or whatever, you know. Yeah. It's, who gives a shit? And also, in my case, it's strange because everyone who's ever called me by the wrong name has called me Steve. What? Yeah, it's the weirdest thing. That's so no one, weird. no one's ever called me John or Bill or Mike or whatever. You just look like a Steve. That's what they say. Yeah, right. So they, they're just like, hey, Steve, and it's like, fuck, I don't even want to correct them, you know. So there are people to this day who think my name is Steve because mm. I just haven't bothered to correct them. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, welcome That's to tangentially amazing. speaking with your host. Steve. No, no, I was just thinking, like, I, you're sort of saying there's nothing in a name, but I, I had read that um, depending on what we've been called and the people we've grown up with and who we love and what their names are, we are more predisposed to liking certain sounds. And that part of when we pick partners or people close to us, the sound of their name does affect that. And, and really? we can be drawn to people who, um, yeah, have a, a sounding name that on a subconscious level part of the phonetic sound of that resonates with us and it's something interesting to think about i'm not sure of the facts i haven't done a study on it yeah i think it's interesting um you know because they like do johns end up with julies more often i think i read something that that can happen that um yeah certain sounds attract but really I, I, my facts, I do not have a factual report of that in front of me. <laughs> so I you're just to, spewing bullshit. I could what be you're spewing saying. bullshit. Yeah. But, All right. Well, um, that's fair enough. It's an interesting idea to think about. It is. It is. I'm not sure where in the dating sequence, you know, the, the phonetics of the woman's name would come up. Uh, yeah. You know, like, yeah. hey man, are you an ass man or a breast man? <laughs> oh, I like women whose names begin with J. Yeah. That's what I'm all about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There was, like, do you know who Johnny Carson was? 
He was this. He had the Tonight Show. It was like the yeah. famous late night show for thirty years or something. Yeah. You know, back in the network days, and he was married three times, I believe, and the women were like Joan, Joanna, and J- something else with Jay. Yeah, he was into the jet. I guess so. Yeah. So there's some <laughs> anecdotal evidence to this bullshit you've been spewing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it could be true. It could as be true. Well, as, in as, yeah, much as it could be bullshit. Yeah. yeah. Well, we can, there's not much that doesn't fall into that category. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Could be true, could be bullshit. <laughs> as we've seen in the last yeah, week, especially. That's the theme of the day. Yeah. So, okay, let's tell, let's tell our audience how we know each other. Oh, yeah. It's, we sat next to uh, each other on a plane from Austin, Texas to LA yeah. and chatted for three hours. It was great. And at no point was I like, oh, I just want to stop talking to this person. Like normally happens. When you, <laughs> I was like, oh, this is not, this, oh, this is good conversation. Well, <laughs> and I have to tell you that I'm a bit trepidatious about those situations because uh, it's the rare person who the more they learn about my gig, yeah. the more they actually want to talk. Really? Well, I mean, you and I, we sat down to each other. Like, we don't know each other, right? No. Man, woman, yeah. you know, inherently awkward kind of yeah. situation, potentially. And I think within like 60 seconds, we were talking about orgasms. <laughs> do, do you remember that? I mean, <laughs> there was a moment. Right? <laughs> or, or, or some bodily function. I don't remember exactly what yeah, it was. Yeah, what was but, it again? What was the... Um, I can't remember. Yeah, I don't know. But... Conversation with me tends to slip into, you know, forbidden zones pretty quickly. And so it's nice that you weren't freaked out by that. Because I'm no, always, no. I always try to give, you know, I try to be honest, but I also give people lots of exit ramps, you know. Sort of more freaked out by boring conversation, probably. Like. Yeah, but it's a slow freak out, right? <laughs> okay, It's yeah. a slow building yeah. freak out. My theory is, too, yeah. that, like, we're always too unorganized to pick the good seats and we end up at the back near the shitty toilets and that sometimes there might be like a, oh. a kindred spirit that ends up oh. at the back in the That's shitty, an interesting idea. shitty seats from um, like a lack of a, a combination of disorganization and lack of caring. So maybe, you know, we there ended up. Yeah. So it's kind of like the theory of California. You yeah. Know? You know, how all the crazy people just kept leaving until they got to California and then they couldn't go anywhere else. I could buy that. For sure. Yeah. 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 There's something to that. So you're Australian. Yeah. So you, you, you're you the crazy person who left Australia. Yeah. Yeah. It's seeming crazier as yeah. the days progress. But no. Yeah. You're, a, you're an immigrant. Yeah. Right? You better have your papers or we're going to be sending you back. I know. Putting you yeah. on a boat. Mom would be happy, but it would be stressful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Send you back in a cage. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. So how long have you been here? Um... Living for two years, but working on and off for six years. Yeah. Six years. Yeah. And so you, I, I Googled you after we met, actually. There's some weird stuff that comes up when you do that. Oh, really? I, I didn't get into anything weird. I just looked at your, I don't know what it was, your IMDB page or something, oh, yeah. you know, your professional. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, you looked, you looked alarmed. <laughs> Sorry. Well, Sorry. there is a weird foot fetish thing that comes up that someone made from this. I did an exploitation horror film years ago and there was all these shots of my feet. And now you, there's this weird foot <laughs> like video that comes up. And really? I thought you were going to mention that, but you didn't. Now I've mentioned it. But well, that's good. Check it out. Anyone who's really wanting to see some awesome foot 
acting or is into foot fetishes. Foot acting. It's, act- it's foot there acting. For, for all to see for the rest That's of the time. That's funny. So you're a foot actor or actress, <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I used to live in this house in Barcelona, this mansion, where everyone who lived there was a fashion model except me. And uh, I lived there for three years. <laughs> Great. Yeah, it was That's an sweet. interesting time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they were, they would, it, it was this mansion that the owner had changed, had like broken up into studio apartments. Mm-hmm. And then she knew these people on these modeling agencies. So when models came through Barcelona, which was part of the circuit, you know, Barcelona, Milan, Paris, yeah, London, yeah. Miami, New York, I think. Um, when they came through, they, some of them would stay there because mm-hmm. it was really beautiful swimming pools and all this. And um, so when I came home at night, often there would be this big table full of models carousing. And, you know, they just had dinner and now they're drinking and smoking. And, and I'd come in and maybe one or two of them knew who I was. And the ones who had just arrived had no idea who I was. So there was always this sort of awkward... They didn't assume you were a model? Well, like... <laughs> see, that's the thing. There was this like, of course, they assumed I was a model because they're all models and I live there. But then they'd look at me and there'd be like this, mm, yeah, I don't know. And so then there'd be this awkward moment where someone would say like, so Chris, what agency are you with? Mm-hmm. You know? And I would tell them, oh yeah, I'm with, you know, Francina. And, but I do, I do mostly hand and ear work. <laughs> and about 80% of them bought it. And they would just go, you know, like, I would be like, hey, you may have seen me in hearing aid monthly, oh you know. Oh, my gosh. It's like, oh, yeah, I think, I think so, yeah. And uh, you're getting your hands examined and all, like, yeah. yeah, like people going, yeah, they are really, they're so symmetrical, your hands. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're great. Uh, so you've done foot acting. Uh, no, it was just all these close-ups of... Do you um, have particularly sexy feet? What's up with... I, I don't know. You're really? wearing, you're wearing I, shoes I don't mind at the them. moment. I mean, fetishes are weird things. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I think humans are so fascinating because, yeah, someone can be into finding like a, a toe sexy or, you know, I don't know, like a yeah. rabbit's bottom sexy or I don't know. A like rabbit's it, bottom. Well, I just wow. always think about this guy and like this business person who got caught, um, and all these, they found all these dead rabbits in his office and been like having sex what? with rabbits. Anyway, ah. it's a really horrible thing to bring up. But I just mean, <laughs> but I mean like. Well, Playboy bunnies, like, they wear those bunny tails. Go, but I just mean like, if you can think of something that people are going to be into, there's someone into it. But you know what? It's crazy. It's almost always a dude. <laughs> yeah, you know, okay. it's like women don't, there aren't no a lot women of women like, rubbing up against rabbits. No, I mean, there may be one or two, but it's a casual kind of opportunistic thing. You know, it's yeah, actually you write about this in Sex at Dawn, how there's a developmental window where um, boys can get fixated on something. And then for the rest of their lives, that, like in puberty. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's, well, it's before puberty. Normally it's, hmm. I think with uh, humans, it's between six and 10 years of age, somewhere right. in there where a boy and the foot thing is interesting. Cause a lot of times the boys, you know, a little kid will be under the table oh, and he'll be, you know, see the from. feet and he'll, you know, get a hard on and they'll yeah. get, he'll have this association. Yeah. So you can get feet, shoes. A lot of times it's, you know, something happening under the table. Yeah. That's really interesting. The the toe cleavage. 
They're saying toe cleavage. Toe cleavage. Well, you know, like when you have one of those, uh, yeah, one of those shoes that like squishes the yeah. the toes and then creates like a. It's like the, the wonder shoe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe they're looking at all the toe cleavage oh, and then associating it to breast cleavage, and then that gets hardwired, and all of a sudden yeah. they're into feet. Could the rest be. Of their life. I, I hadn't thought about the cleavage aspect. Yeah, the toe but cleavage that's there. Thing. Yeah. I had my thing when I was little was armpits. I saw a woman like coming out of the shower or the bath or the, the maybe mm-hmm. the pool or whatever, and she was like putting a towel on her hair and something about the armpits. It was like, ah, oh, that was the first. That was the first time I looked at a woman and felt sexual was the armpits. Wow. Yeah. Well, that makes sense too. That's where a lot of the pheromones come from, and it's like often you don't get to see armpits because they're private, private, yeah. and yeah. also very vulnerable. It's a very vulnerable part of your body. So, yeah. like you know, when you have your arms up, you're you're exposed, yeah. and you know, there's. I remember feeling like this way about belly buttons mm. and being like, God, Pete, everyone's showing everyone go to the beach, everyone shows their belly buttons, and it's so crazy because it's in my head. I was like, but it, it's a belly button. There was something. I felt like there was something sexual about a belly button yeah. for some reason. I can um, see that. I spent yeah. a lot of time in Rajasthan. Have you been to India? No. The Rajasthan is the desert in the western part of India. And like Indian society is super uptight about sex and, mm-hmm. you know, freaked out. But in Rajasthan, these women, oh my God, they're so beautiful. They wear, they wear this thing on the top that's like a bikini top or something. Yeah. But they wear it like halfway up their breast. Oh, yeah. So there's like half their breast is sort of like bulging out mm-hmm. below it, right? Mm-hmm. And then the sari they wear all as low as possible. Really? So it's like down their hips, just above their pubic hair, right? Oh, so right. they've got this, the belly is just like <laughs> totally out there and then they've got jugs on their head and they're like swinging their hips when they walk and i was like incredibly horny 25 year old or something traveling yeah i bet killed me killed me yeah Yeah. so i've got a fetish for women with jugs on their head now and you know they probably would you know fix the jug and then show their armpits and then you You got the the trifecta (laughs) it's all there Exactly. Shit. Exactly. So, okay, at some point we should talk about like what you do for a living and uh, why. Yeah. Why. So you're an actor. Yeah. Yes. And you just came back from filming uh, Gulag. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that? Or yeah, that- yeah. I uh, it was a movie um, set in a Russian Gulag. The gulags um, were um, sort of like cons- they were like work camps, different to concentration camps in that they weren't death camps specific like they they were designed to have people work right building um, roads build, and right, mining. Cut, yeah, yeah cutting down trees or building certain specific projects sometimes yeah. um and yeah it's set in a in a gulag and um there's five women in a bunkhouse and yeah it's it's sort of dealing with that reality and yeah it was really it was really fun but very intense and also i'm um, six months pregnant so it was yeah it added an extra layer to doing a film like that um, I felt a bit bad for the unborn child on scenes where I was you know there was like a group bashing or where you have to get yourself emotional for a scene and mm. kind of you know knowing that it's affecting your baby a little bit like I'd, I'd have to apologize at the end of takes and be like I'm sorry mum's okay you know it's mm. such a a weird thing you know people yeah. are still doing a lot of research about that connection right, and right. anyway so it was yeah it was um 
it was an interesting experience. Can you yeah. talk about your character? Yeah, um, she commits a crime, um, a, a crime of passion at the start of the film, and then ends up, um, yeah, having to go to the the camp. She's a she's a nurse, and she um, very quickly realizes she has to escape because she knows that she's the type of person who would. Um, who would probably not survive the circumstances if if she if she stayed in a place like that? Wow! Um, but then it turns out that uh, I don't want to spoil the twist, but um, it it the her character especially ends up looking at all the different things people do to survive in those situations, and um, she ends up having to take on a lot of those aspects of survival that she never thought she would um, take on. Mm. Um, I think it's an interesting fantasy, but I think we all want to, want to know what we would do in in a survival situation and why survival stories are so right. interesting and why shows like The Walking Dead are so popular because I think we all like to fantasize about what we would do if you took away all the bullshit of modern life and, and right. it came straight back to having to survive. Just strip it down. Yeah, yeah, like would we be awful? Like would we be the cowards or would we be able to rise to a... Yeah. Okay, would we become you know, a monster? Would we, would we eat someone if we were starving? Like that's, that's, it's sort of asking those questions. Um, yeah, that's, that's important stuff. It's set in what, the forties? Yeah. Just post-World War II. In Siberia. Yeah. And so you're filming where? Was there (laughs) fake snow? Yeah, there was. We were up in Mount Baldy. Um, and yeah, they they bought in snow. Oh, but real snow. It wasn't well, like spray on. No, yeah, they they had these amazing ice machines, and uh-huh. um, it, it's really fun to watch actually. Like these huge uh, cylinders, and people just spray the shit out of the landscape, and you know, all of a sudden you're in a snowy landscape. It's really, it's really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so your your character's not pregnant, right? They, no, no, they had to. Well, lucky for me, you know, we were in bulky prison garb so it worked out quite well if it had been a movie set on a beach i probably would have been in trouble but yeah they they just covered it and it's just the five women the the film's focused on the focuses on that and then there's there are a few other characters who yeah pop in but are the guards men or women um the guards are men and there is there are scenes to do with her and a a prison guard Hmm. um yeah that's that's another aspect of it for sure and um, it kind of examines what in those scenes the prison guards kind of he he is violent and has become hateful towards women but he's sort of self-aware about it and talking about why he needed to dehumanize himself in order for himself to survive the experience right. which was that's which an interesting angle cool. yeah. yeah the guards have to survive too yeah yeah yeah. What a mess. I know. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was, it was a dark, it was an, like researching it was incredible, but it was, in, it was upsetting as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is it a, is it a drama or horror film? Or it's a drama. It's a drama. Yeah. So it, is it named? Do we have a name for it? it um, the working title was a gulag mouse. Um, but I think they're changing it cause they said enough, not enough people know what a gulag is, but I, I thought it's that sort of thing. It's a shame because I think, even if you don't know what a gulag is, it's sort of an interesting word that I think people would be drawn to. But 
Yeah, they're, they're worried not enough people know what it is. Yeah, I know because there was a famous book called The Gulag Archipelago uh, by Solzhenitsyn, which was very popular and you know, I have a lot of friends who are Russian uh, immigrants, but I don't know yeah, if, if normal people would know what a gulag is. But yeah, it is a, it's kind of a resonant word. word. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it sort of reminds me of goulash, which I guess, you know, <laughs> they weren't getting a lot of goulash in the gulag. No, not as much as horrible. they probably needed. Yeah, yeah, what a horrible place to be. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the food, they really used the, the food thing was terrible because they, if you didn't meet your work quotas, they cut your ration, which means you weren't ever going to meet your work quotas. Right, you get so, into a spiral. Yeah. Exactly. So it was, yeah. it was almost a death sentence as soon as you didn't meet your work quota because the calories got would get cut right. and cut and cut, and right. then it was just impossible to keep up. So and was, a lot of the people who were sent to those those gulags were intellectuals and yeah. doctors and yeah. you know interesting intelligentsia who mm -hmm. Stalin felt threatened by for some reason. Yes. So you would have run into really, you know, not your typical run-of-the-mill criminals there. Yeah. You would have run into fascinating people probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was a real mix and, and all different nationalities because a lot of different nationalities and ethnic groups got targeted uh, right. um, as well. But um, yeah, it was amazing reading accounts of prisoners who, yeah, like, I mean, keeping the mind occupied seemed to be such an important way people survived. And there was, there were beautiful stories of people reciting whole novels, um, for other people, um, just because that, you know, often they weren't allowed books or any, right. anything. And how do you stay sane, like yeah. mentally? So, um, you know, storytelling was, was one way people, um, <laughs> stayed, stayed human, I, I guess. Um, yeah, among other things, but... You ever read yeah. a book called uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl? No. It's really interesting. He was in, I think it was Auschwitz. He was a psychotherapist, and um, then he was you know, sent to Auschwitz, and he survived and, and wrote a book. And actually, his book was written anonymously, um, but his close friends um, convinced him that by uh, you know putting his name on it, it would help more people read it and make it more meaningful. And because mm -hmm. there were stories, people would say, "Oh, that couldn't have happened." Whatever you know. So he finally agreed to put his name on it, and it's become this classic of you know this whole prison camp genre of literature. And mm -hmm. anyway, it's really interesting. And he talks about how you know you're talking about the, the techniques or the the yeah. necessities of survival. His point is that the difference between, you know, of course, a lot of people didn't survive just because they were unlucky, they were yeah. picked, they were too old, they were sick, whatever. And yeah. So not talking about them, but of the people who sort of decided to just, you know, die, you know, mm -hmm. like throw themselves on the fences or, yeah. you know, insult a guard or whatever. Um, he said that the, the difference was people who found some way to have meaning in their lives. You know, yeah. they were surviving for their children or for their community or because they were going to get out and write a book or they were going to get music yeah. or whatever it was. There was something that brought meaning into their lives and allowed them to maintain some sense of dignity. Absolutely. Well, yeah, the, um, the, the book I'm talking about, um, it's called My Journey. And, sh and this woman, Olga, she mentally wrote this book over... 
over this 20 year period. Ah, that's she, the book she was reciting. Yeah. Well, no, uh, like, no, this is, she was mentally writing her own memoirs uh-huh. that she was determined to publish when she became free. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, she didn't always have a pen and paper, but she was mentally like sort of documenting it in her mind. And right. then when she did eventually get her freedom, she, she wrote this book and it's amazing. Um, but yeah, she, she made that decision really early on to kind of start taking notes. Have a project. Um, have a project, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, but she was also one of the people reciting, she loved literature and she, yeah, she would recite novels for people as well. She, she was amazing. It's funny if you have an opportunity to, and not like going to a gulag's a great opportunity, but like I, I had this job in Alaska gutting fish for a while and- uh, Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, this is crazy. Um, but I was, so it was called the slime line where I worked. It was just like yeah, these fish came down a conveyor oh, belt and you yeah. just, eh. yeah. and, and his cl- clanging machines everywhere and, you know, hoses and it was, so you're in rain gear and, um, earplugs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so you're just in your head all day, right? There's nothing, there's no stimulation. Cause what you're doing, it just becomes totally automatic after a while. So it became very meditative mm-hmm. and it was like 16, 17 hour work days. It was just like total, you know, work, 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 sleep, work, 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 work. Oh and, um, but it was really interesting because you start peeling back the layers of the onion and you find all this stuff in your head that you thought was wasn't there you know like I remember thinking about some kid who stole my bike when I was four then I remembered his name and what he looked like and like I hadn't thought about that kid since I was five you know and it's like but it's still in there yeah so I wonder if you're in that situation where you're just you know getting nothing coming in from outside Mm. what you would find after six months a year because this was after six weeks I was yeah finding all this stuff you know yeah but like I wonder if like, what do we remember that we don't know is in there? Like, you know, how yeah. many songs and poems and, you know, maybe even big chunks of novels are, yeah. are lodged in our brains somewhere and we yeah. just never know. Crazy. Well, so how do you research something like this? Do you research all your roles or? Um, well, for the, I mean, for this, it happened really fast. So the, the research was, you know, it, it. I didn't have much time, so yeah. I, I downloaded an audiobook because I had rehearsals were in Venice. I'm in Los Feliz, so you know, just listened to um, the audiobook, which was good. And then um, we had a wonderful Russian act, have a wonderful Russian actress in our cast, and she had been reading this memoir, and that's how I found it, and um, and was just reading it between rehearsals, and mm. yeah, and and it was incredibly helpful. Um, and, you know, just go to the library, Chris. There's libraries that library. you can go to. Never heard of that. And, um, <laughs> you know, just take out some books on the Soviet Union and read no, them. There's no, like, YouTube tutorial <laughs> for act- an actor who needs to, you know... Did you do a Russian accent? No, I mean, I would have. I would have. Um, I work in accents all the time. But um, for whatever reason, they decided to have her do an American accent because for Americans, an American accent seems like not no an accent. accent at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Whereas to me, I felt slightly awkward playing a Russian <laughs> In an American with accent. an American accent. Cause for me, it feels probably more strange than just if an American actress yeah. had been doing it with, no accent in inverted commas. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, 
they just said that they they wanted it more accessible in in that way. I I don't know. It's a kind of a it is a tricky a tricky thing. Um, yeah, I love how Romans always have British accents. I mean, that's it, isn't it? Like, yeah, and um, it's weird. They signify things. That yeah, really or evil characters nothing. always have British accents yeah, in American yeah. productions. Although some some Russian evil accents are pretty good too. Like you know, nasty yeah. evil, big ugly Russians. I would, speaking of accents, you know, um, Meryl Streep is so famous for her, you know, attention to detail and yeah, all that. Yeah, yeah. So you ever see Sophie's Choice? Do you remember yeah. that film? Oh, what yeah, a yeah. heartbreaker of a uh, film. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, anyway, I saw that film with yeah, she's amazing. my best friend, uh, who is actually, he's the connection to the Russian community I mm -hmm. talked about. His mother was Ukrainian and his father was Polish. And they were both war refugees and mm -hmm. they met in the U.S. And then they had uh, Mike and his brother in Connecticut and whatever. Mm -hmm. So Mike grew up speaking... Ukrainian with his mother, Polish with his father, Russian with his grandmother who lived in the house, German at wow. the dinner table because that was the only language the three adults spoke <laughs> in common, right? <laughs> the mother, father, and grandmother. And then going to you know, school and speaking English like any other kid born in the U.S. Amazing. So he grew up speaking those, what was that, four or five languages. Then he studied Spanish. Then he learned French. He's just like this guy, right? Anyway, so we're watching... Um, so very jealous. Choice. Very jealous of him. Yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, plus he's a musical genius. Yeah, no, we don't like him. Don't like him at all. No. Uh, beautiful wife, great kids, makes lots of money. Fuck that guy. Great kids too. God. Oh, his kids are amazing. Oh, They're gosh. amazing. And the oldest one's named after he's me. He's probably got bad breath. Something. I don't something. Know. I hope there's something <laughs> wrong with him somewhere. Yeah, but so we grew up together uh he taught me to smoke dope and drink beer and i taught him to drive a car Aww. yeah not all on the same day luckily. <laughs> yeah. that sign's so far away <laughs> we even shared my, his first girlfriend uh was my lover that yeah we go way back <laughs> but that's another so story we shared so yeah. many things anyway the point is we we're watching sophie's choice together in the cinema and there's a scene where she's what is it she's she plays a character who is polish who got um a job working in the prison camp for the nazis she's like mm -hmm. a secretary or something mm -hmm. and she speaks german which is why she could be employed mm -hmm. you know by the nazis and so there's the first scene where she, the, the Nazi, the, the German guy comes in and says something. She responds to him in German and they're having this conversation in German. And Mike leans over to me and he says, she's speaking German with a Polish accent. <gasps> wow. Like who's going to wow. notice that, right? What percentage of the audience yeah. is going to notice that Meryl Streep not only apparently learned German or at least those lines... Yeah. In a credible German, but with a Polish fucking accent. Yeah, that's that's uh, inspiring. That's really something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's great. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So, how did you get into this gig? This, this shameful <laughs> just, gig that you're in. Just acting in general. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Well, my dad's a scriptwriter. Oh, all right. And my you're mom's born an to artist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, 
Yeah, so growing up, it was, it's funny because I grew up in the country, but it was, um, you know, he was always writing movies and TV and taking me to theatre and um, all of that stuff. And I, I started out dancing. I, I loved to dance and I, I did that for 14, 15 years. Ballet? Ballet and contemporary and, yeah. So how's a ballet end up with feet worthy of being fetishized? Yeah, exactly. I think oh. they'd be all gnarly and yeah. beaten up. but again, there's probably people into gnarly mm-hmm. ex-ballet feet. I don't know. Oh. <laughs> now we're getting <laughs> Something somewhere. for everyone, you know. <laughs> like, that's yeah. the That's the beautiful thing about humanity. Never feel left out. Someone out there will be into your gnarly feet. That's right, you sickos. Yeah. There's a sicko for everyone. Everyone. Exactly. That's this beautiful thing. Um, so where did you grow up? I grew up on the Mornington Peninsula, which is about an hour south of Melbourne. It's a small wine region, oh. famous for Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. Oh, wow. Dear into your wines. I, beautiful I, wines there. I like the Syrah that comes from Australia, or Shiraz in Australia, I think they call it. Syrah is different to Shiraz. Shiraz. Is it? I thought it was just a different name for or the same it, grape. Um, Actually, Even now, it... someone's Googling that. <laughs> Google. Someone Google. <laughs> Someone Google and get back um, to us on that. Yeah. No, there's good Shiraz. the good Shiraz comes from the Barossa Valley in South Australia. Uh, Very nice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it, was, it is, was kind of a microclimate where I grew up that originally was all orchards of um, ap- apples and cherries and things. And then people realized they could wait, make way more money <laughs> making delicious wine. So yeah. Why did your parents maker. live there? Well, um, they were in the city. I think my mum grew up on a sheep farm uh, and dad was a bit older and he'd lived in cities his whole life, but he was into surfing and, Mm. you know, I don't know, that that lifestyle appealed to him at that point in his life. Was he sort of bohemian? Yeah, definitely, yeah. So I think they they made the move for us kids and and for kind of a tree change Mm. and... And yeah, um, yeah, it was a beautiful place to grow up. But um, yeah, so anyway, where am I going with this? Oh, how you this got boring. into it? No, no, it's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting because I mean, how you get into what you get into? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're. I'm just picturing your parents, right? Because like, where is the TV business in Australia? Sydney. Sydney and Melbourne. Right. Um, so dad would commute or he'd, well, he's a writer, so he would send off scripts. So he didn't um, need to be there. Um, well, he would drive up to the city when he needed to. Right. Um, and yeah, and maybe he, I don't know if he would have got more work if he had been in the center of town or not, mm. uh, maybe. But yeah, so, but they made that choice to be down there. Right. Um, it's funny because growing up, so many of my friends have ended up following the professions of their parents, which seems such a traditional... It's like you know, feudal. Yeah, feudal. Yeah, yeah. But so many. Um, mm. I know very few people who have sort of rebelled against their parents' wishes. And I mean, one I've got one friend who, yeah, chose to do acting instead of um, instead of being a doctor. His his Both his parents were in medicine and when he told them he was going to drama school and not medical school, I, I think his dad threw a cantaloupe at his head or something. A melon. <laughs> a melon, for those of you who don't know what a cantaloupe is. Um, yeah, and but apart from him, I, I don't know many people who've sort of done something. Yeah, which seems sort of, I don't know, it's... it's 
disappointing. You want to think that people have this like will follow their dreams based on like this deep seated passion. And even with myself, I'll go, well, was it really like how much did, yeah, my parents upbringing influence me? Like if they had both been doctors, would I then have mm. become a doctor and found a creative way to express what I want to express through medicine? I, right. I don't know. It's um, right. Anyway, it's something I think about, but, but yeah, I went into, I, I just always wanted to do it. I, I loved psychology of like figuring out characters and um <laughs> just dressing up you know it's like oh someone could pay you to just dress up that's cool um so where did you have you know the, the cliche is that kids who want to be in imaginary worlds are going through yeah more pain than than typical well not really because i think i had a very happy childhood <laughs> my mm. parents split up when i was uh 12 which was you know really hard um but it wasn't violent or awful or they were very amicable and you know it was i, I don't think that was an influencing right. factor in in that way um that some people talk about it as being an influence influencing factor sometimes um no i think i i always been pretty yeah happy in that way um if anything i i wanted something more stable when i saw my parents relationship end and and when i saw what instable you know the instability artistic living can bring i was like well mm. i'm gonna become i don't know something steady or like i was i was drawn to you know languages and psychology I was like maybe I could just find something yeah not acting but just get a paycheck um because I did in a way crave stability so so going into the acting was counterintuitive in in that way as well um so did you have a sense that that acting was drawing you because the way you said that go into something not acting as if yeah acting was sort of already uh, yeah always. the direction you were going yeah uh, yeah always from a very young age yeah really yeah did, did you ever go like on a set with your dad or anything or did um, you ever see actors working? The first time I was on a proper set, I was 15 and I did um, work experience with a script supervisor in Australia. We call them continuity. Um, yeah, like the continuity person here. It's a script supervisor. And um, yeah, and it was great. And um, and it was and it was kind of cool to see it from the other side of the camera. Mm. Um and script supervisors have really difficult jobs. They have to take a lot of notes and they have to write reports on every shot and they have to be incredibly aware and notice everything that's happening in a scene. And it was probably quite good, a good way to start out by mm. seeing it from that perspective. Because of all the attention to detail. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, having, and having respect for script supervisors because they can, you know, actors can get quite annoyed with them on set right. because they'll come up and be like, you meant to pick that up with your left hand and when you're trying to you know, concentrate on a scene and do, yeah. you know, maybe feel a certain emotion or achieve something. You're like, I don't fucking care what yeah. arm I picked it up with. No one's going to notice that, but you know, yeah. like you have to, yeah. I always notice that shit. See, like a lot of people do notice. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll be watching with someone, especially now where you can stop it and go back. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> mm, did you see that? Like, mm. you know, she had a ring on in the last scene and this yeah. thing is she's not got the ring on anymore. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? Man? And we go back like, ah, there it is. There's no ring. Like, Fuck. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, I have this fantasy that someone in Hollywood's going to hire me to just sit there and, you know, 
tell them what they do wrong. Oh. Yeah. That, I think <laughs> that's what be, you want to do. That's what I want to do for a living. <laughs> just, okay. Just like, hey, yeah, no, no. Just put the ring back on. Oh, yeah, thank that you. That is someone's you, job. Like, you could go into that profession if, if you want. It's probably a little just late in know. the game. Yeah. Well, if, if you hear of an opening, okay. like, you know, a hypercritical <laughs> asshole opening, that's okay. me. Yeah. I'm really good at finding mistakes in what other people do. Interesting. Yeah. My own mistakes, they're totally... Don't see no him. idea. Don't see him. Yeah, mm. it sounds like quite a there. blissful way of being in a way, like <laughs> annoying for other people, but nice for you. Exactly. Which I was it's great. More like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I noticed that it tends to go the other way for most people. They're very critical of themselves. But I've always been that yeah. way. I mean, I'm obviously I'm overstating it, but but I have noted, like I, I noticed at a very young age that I. Like the narrative, I forgive myself pretty easily. Mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of shame or, you know, it's like, I don't think I'm a bad person. So, you know, I don't think I'm a psychopath, but hey, yeah, most psychopaths probably don't. Don't right? realize, yeah. But yeah, I do. Could s- be one. I have noticed that it. the narrative <laughs> could be, yeah, sort of shapes itself in a way like, it's almost like, you know how like the right lighting can make things look good, mm. you know, like candlelight. Candle yeah, exactly. Um, it's almost like there's psychological lighting, mm-hmm. and so in my interior, I choose candlelight a lot. Yeah. You know. Well, isn't that with meditation and things what people are trying to I think achieve? So. You yeah. know, like uh, um, I feel like that's you're fortunate that you have that, and yeah, the the self criticism and self-hate that a lot of people have is really debilitating and it's a constant voice people hear yeah and yet they use things like meditation to sort of try to quieten that voice or yeah and it's almost like you can't really change what's in the room but you can choose the lighting so why not choose nice lighting yeah you know like because it doesn't matter, you know. Yeah. It's not. It's not a lie to mm. to turn the light candles and turn off the bright lights. That's not a lie, right? It's anyway. So I mean, this psychological. The, what interests me most about acting is the psychological part. Yeah. You know, like what's going on. And it it's interesting because, you know, I've read different actors talking about their their technique and what they're you know. And you've got the method acting, you know, the yeah. people who have to like totally inhabit the role. And then you've All got... All the time, yeah. An yeah, experience. Know, Lawrence Olivier real. or something who said, famously said to Marlon Brando or someone like, why don't you just try acting? Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's kind of an example of the two, yeah, the two systems right. coming. So where do you fall? What's your, how do you get into a character like? Um, well, I, I think you use whatever's useful to you in the circumstances, um, because method acting can be really exhausting if, you know, like if you're on set all day and you're trying to stay in a character, right. you might find that your energy is going when you're not being filmed rather than right. like distilling it for when you're being filmed. And that character it. would never be in the trailer <laughs> on a fucking movie set. Yeah. So like that must yeah. be weird also. Yes, I personally haven't ever found that that works um, for, for me, um, I, I don't know. I find sort of strange abstract things helping me more than anything else because 
in a way, being on a film set and, and doing it, it's so weird anyway. You've got a bunch of people standing around like on their iPhones, like picking their nose or like chatting or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, you're all dressed up and usually like either too hot or too cold or like someone's like brushing powder on you and you're trying to connect to a situation that's really out there usually. Mm. Um, you know, it's such a... It, I find the things that help me are similarly absurd in a way because often these situations you're in are so strange. Um, I find it's a lot to do with focus and, and mm. being able to... Um, to I, I don't know, distill, distill a feeling or to, to really... Um, hone in on on a situation and block out a lot of noise that's happening yeah. around you. Do you think it's harder? Maybe to that's be... why it's enjoyable too, because right. in a way that's quite re- like a yeah. weird meditation. Like, it's cleansing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think about the feeling. I I, I went rock climbing once, and I was like clinging to the side of this cliff, mm-hmm. you know, and I was roped in, but my body didn't believe that I could fall without dying, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, I knew intellectually, but I sort of, it's a long story, but, but I remember the feeling at the end of the day, it just felt like, like someone had taken a high pressure hose and cleaned out my brain. Yeah. Cause for those minutes or hours or whatever Mm -hmm. it was, I wasn't thinking about anything. Mm -hmm. I was in total survival mode. Yeah. I, I recently had a guy on this podcast a few times uh, named Wim Hof. Mm-hmm. He's the Iceman. He's a fascinating guy. He climbed Mount Everest in I shorts. I heard about him. He's You're awesome. Yeah, so oh he's become a friend. He was on the cruise ship that I was on. <laughs> um, anyway, he got into this whole thing with the ice because his wife committed suicide. And he mm-hmm. had four little kids. And he was just like losing his fucking mind, as anyone would, yeah. right? And he found that the only rest he had mm-hmm. was when he jumped into the freezing cold waters of the North Sea. And for those five minutes or whatever that he was in the water, mm-hmm. he, he stopped thinking. He stopped worrying. He was in survival mode. Mm-hmm. And then when he got out and returned to his life, he felt like, ah, okay, I rested Yeah. for those few minutes. Yeah. And so that's how he, he just kept taking it further and further because it was the only rest he had, you know? So this focus is really interesting to me. And I, you made me wonder if, if maybe it's harder to be an actor now for someone your age, what are you, 20 something? 31. 30, same thing. <laughs> 31 is the new 20 something. Is it? Okay, cool. <laughs> um, but I mean, you grew up with the internet. You grew up with cell phones you know more or less yeah, in the last sort of later, later I, I didn't get a cell phone until i was 17 so i feel like it's a little yeah it's later yeah what's well, half your half your life it's your it's entire adult true. life it is you know? true, yeah. in any case you grew up you, you know the the media environment is in the last few decades has been chopping attention span into ever yeah. smaller pieces right yeah. so Someone your age has grown up with, uh, you know, a much more restricted sort of capacity for Mm. long focus. Mm. And even me, I mean, I grew up, you know, with three channels on the TV when I was a kid and whatever. Mm. But even just in the last 10 or 15 years, I've noticed how it's much harder for me to read through 
an entire article on my yeah. computer. I'll yeah. read three paragraphs and then, oh, that reminds me, and I'll jump to that and then email. And then, you know, it's like I can't fucking read a five-page essay anymore, much less a novel. Mm. It's really hard. So if the key to acting is focus, mm. and you're, we're all living in this world that's cutting down our ability to focus, mm. I wonder if it's harder for young people to, to act now. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Um, or, like, I, I mean, I think this this focus is what relates to anything people are passionate about you know musicians talk about it and surfers and sports Get people in the flow the flow yeah, yeah yeah um so i don't think it'll ever go away because i think that's the thing people crave it more right so um yeah i think because of the hyper technological world we find ourselves in maybe young people are going to be even more drawn to activities where they can hmm. just focus on something but maybe it is harder i don't know i don't yeah, know that's a good point um, maybe there's a compensatory yearning yeah because yeah. because you just can't it, it is stressful to to be in this short-term memory this short-term gratification space all the right. time well, because you're, you're really nowhere when yeah. you're in that place, mm -hmm. right? You, you, it's almost like you don't exist. The time just goes by. And I always think of that line from John Lennon, life is what happens while you're busy doing other things. <laughs> yeah. That's such a killer. Yeah. Like but how much do we just let pass us by? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think about that too. Although last night I was with a friend, we were listening to some music. And um, do you know the song, Watching the Wheels? By yeah. John Lennon. Yeah. It's from his last album that came out just before he was shot. Yeah. It's such, if you listen to the words to that song, it's so beautiful because the song is all about how um, people think I'm crazy, dreaming my life away. It's sort of the opposite of what mm -hmm. we were saying in a sense, but it's a song about not being a Beatle anymore mm -hmm. and not trying to be famous and not trying and just like checking out of that whole thing and spending time with his son. Yeah. And, uh, I'm just sitting here watching the wheels go round and round. I just had to let it go. Yeah. No longer riding on the merry-go-round. Yeah. I just had to let it go. What a beautiful thing to say at the end of your life. I know. You know what I mean? And then the irony is he's still, writing a beautiful song while apparently not doing anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Effortless genius. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's where we that all want to be. Yeah, yeah. Just casually, yeah, writing a really poignant, beautiful yeah. song <laughs> while not doing anything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I know, it's, it's beautiful. Um, but isn't that, I mean, that's kind of what you're doing too. I, that's what I envy about this, your art in particular. Because when it's really good, it is kind of effortless. I know it takes a lot of work to get there, but once you're there, you're there, right? And when you're in character, yeah, then the work's over. And but getting there can be really frustrating and really stressful because, um, yeah, when it and I suppose it's the same for anyone like a musician struggling or like someone on, trying to catch a wave. Like when you when you just when you just off, you know, you feel it even more. You yeah. feel even worse. Yeah. Um, and then when you get it, you feel amazing. But yeah, I think just because of all the micro decisions you're making, like when you pay attention to something, there's so many things we do in life that are automatic. 
um, you know, having a cup of tea or like walking across the room. And then once you pay attention to it and someone's watching you through a camera, all of a sudden you're like, is this normal? Like yeah. the way, does, do people actually pick up a mug like <laughs> right, this? Like, right. Do people like, yeah. would I touch my hair when I, you know, like stuff like, apparently we touch our faces, um, you know, all, so many times during right. a minute. Right. And then all of a sudden when you start trying to think about it and put that into a scene, you're like, but this, why would I be touching my face here? Now, that's weird. Would I touch my eye or my nose or, yeah. what, you know, and, and bringing attention to things can all of a sudden be really confusing <laughs> and, mm. um, and is part of the challenge of why, like, why is, why should a job where you're just recreating what people normally do be difficult? But that's why it's difficult is because by trying to recreate what's normal, you inevi inevitably distort it and get it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but that's right. sort of the fun challenge. Right. It. Yeah. You're going, you're taking the path of artifice to get to naturalness. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 It's yeah. Just, yeah. Well, I mean, that's what, that's what novels do, right? You, you tell a giant lie that somehow contains a profound truth. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Interesting stuff. So, yeah. um, have you ever done sensory deprivation floating? Talking about focus? I want to try that. Oh, it's really good. I, I would definitely love to try that, especially being, it's hard, it's hard not to view everything when you, when you're pregnant, it's a very all <laughs> consuming thing mm. and it's hard not to view everything through that lens. But I, I, I immediately go, what would that be like? when you're pregnant, especially yeah. like, because, because it's almost like a Russian doll thing. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's like you're floating Would in your own womb like and then the <laughs> yeah. baby's within the room, I, within the womb. Being in a womb yourself. Yeah. I think it's, you, you could almost really project yourself into what it's like for your baby in the womb. Yeah. Yeah, isn't yeah. that what it's sort of creating is being back in the womb? Yeah. Yeah. I should yeah. totally do it. You should do it. Yeah. yeah. And there are a bunch of places here in LA you can, there's one in Venice, a famous one in okay. Venice, but there's some out here on the on the east side as well. Yeah, it's a, a friend of mine is sort of like the. Uh, do you know who Joe Rogan is? No. Uh, he's he's quite famous. He has a huge podcast, and he's like a, he's he's an actor. He's been in a couple sitcoms, and he hosted. Uh, Not any relation to Seth Rogan. No. Okay. He hosted uh, Fear Factor. Oh, okay. And now he does like UFC commentary. These yeah. guys who beat each other bloody. And um, but he's also a stand-up comic and an actor. And he's a really interesting guy. But anyway, he's yeah. super into float tanks. Okay. And his enthusiasm for it and promoting it on his podcast has basically launched the industry in the U.S. Because mm -hmm. you know, in the '80s with AIDS and everything, suddenly everyone was like, "I'm not getting in any water anyone else has been in." You know the all the terror. Um, so of, it was like big in the seventies. It was big in the like six late sixties and seventies. Yeah. Um, because it was part of this whole discovery. Yeah. Consciousness and, and yeah, all that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then it died in the eighties and then he largely through his support, it came back and now it's huge. Cause the whole point is you're, you're weightless, right? Like you're weightless. You're yeah. complete. Like the balance of salts is such that yeah. you, yeah. That, yeah. I mean, it's, it's really nice. Idea. Your body, you just sort of lie back. The, the water's room, their body temperature, right? The air's body temperature. So you've got no sense of temperature change. Mm -hmm. uh, you lie, it's only like nine inches deep or something, mm -hmm. but it's so buoyant that you lie back and, you know, you're floating. And so you're, and it's silent and it's dark and, you know. So there's no input and you just, like, you just, your body disappears. You just, you're just floating in space. 
it's really like there's no up or down. There's no left or right. Do you feel nauseous? Do people feel nauseous? No. Well, I never did. I I mean, I haven't heard of people feeling nauseous. But, uh, you know, some people just get bored. Yeah. Because they're like, you know, I got stuff to do. You know, so how long are you in there for? Uh, 60 to 90 minutes, depending wow, on yeah. the, you know, the place. And sometimes, like, if you get into it, you can do a late night float for, like, three hours from 2 to 5 in the morning. People wow. float in them. I mean, sleep in them. Yeah, know? I imagine. Yeah. So I think it would be great pregnant. <laughs> yeah, know? I'm going to try it. Because it would be totally, like, the, you know, your, your little fetus there would just yeah. be like, Phew. Oh, mom is so chill. Yeah, yeah, like, get wow. some endorphins yeah, there. Yeah. yeah. Well, because I love swimming, and um, yeah, and and I think like as the further along you get, the more you crave weightlessness. Yeah. So that sounds great. I'm I'm gonna do it. Do I'll it. get back to you, Chris, about how the baby likes it. <laughs> <laughs> One kick for yes, two for no. Are you, are you getting kicks? <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. Awesome. Six months. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. From five months. And and then women who are having their second or third or however many children have it earlier. Really? Yeah. Wow. I know it's pretty. This is your first kid. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're when you were doing this role and and there's this stress and you're crying or you're fighting or whatever. Yeah. Is there guilty? Yeah. So there's (laughs) that must have been different for you now, right? Because when you've done that in the past, you could just surrender to it and who gives a shit. But now you're like. Part of you is monitoring mm. what's happening. I think I was trying to be more efficient with it. So. Like, like get the shot and yeah, be done like, with it. Like, yeah, like um, I was kind of probably not as generous in terms of other people's shots and stuff. If I wasn't on camera, I just uh, would try to conserve the energy, right. um, which is a bit of a dick move normally for acting because it's nice mm. when the person off camera is giving you everything. But mm. yeah, I, was, I guess I was being a bit more selfish trying to... Um, make it easier for the little human and and even yeah like getting into so the given circumstances was she was like beaten up by by these three women and one of them's threatening to torture her with this burning log and and you know so I'm like I knew I had to get myself into this like shaking, crying, snot, (laughs) you know, orifices bringing forth fluids. Wow, like really losing it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and I think I only really went there for, yeah, a couple of takes because you're, I mean, the mind-body connection is so strong is like how, how does it know what's real and what's not? And I'm I'm there... Yeah. doing various gestures and breathing and movement things to get to this state of shaking and crying. And, and how does my body know I'm not, you know, yeah. being sacrificed on an altar somewhere to, you right. know, like, well, whatever. Right. Um, so I, I was concerned about it and, and it was a lot more exhausting. Mm. I, I, I found that I wanted to eat and sleep a lot more to afterwards. Um, and, you know, time will tell if our baby's crazy. <laughs> It'll be me. Blame it, it on has the to Russians. Blame. Yes, because mom went and did a freaking movie about a 
fucking woman in a gulag when she's pregnant. So that's great. You know, so I think now, now I'm trying to learn about meditation and like going for massages. Cause I'm so like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm so centered and fine. Now. Yeah. No, but, um, do a few floats. It'll all even the out. Floats. I'll yeah. have to do the floats, but yeah, like, um, the cool thing about being pregnant, I mean, it is really stressful and crazy, but, um, learning about the mind body connection is really amazing. And, yeah. Um, and I've always been interested in that from an acting perspective and now it's even more interesting from, yeah, when you're going through this transformation, this incredible transformation. Um, yeah, I think about it a lot now. <laughs> I had a, a girlfriend talking about mind-body connection. I had a, a girlfriend who grew up in Barcelona primarily. Her mother's French, her father's Catalan. And they lived in Miami for a while when she was a kid. So she spoke French, Catalan, and English very well from mm -hmm. a young age. And Spanish, you know, because oh, she's a Barcelona. Another one of these people that we don't. Another one, we yeah. don't like Fuck these people. <laughs> but you can do accents, right? Sure, sure. I mean, so, so, yeah, definitely the same thing, same thing as thing. knowing an By entire the way, other Can you language. talk in an American accent for a while? That'd be right amusing. Now, yeah. I could try. I don't know. I might get self-conscious, though. Oh, that's good. Yeah, Is that good? I can't do Australian at all. Australian's I can... hard. Yeah. It's hard. Why? It's a different placement uh, to the American accent in, in that it's, I, I think there are certain sounds that just don't exist in the yeah. American accent. Like, right. Um, so just to go back to Australian. Oh, I'm that gonna... was great. That was, I liked <laughs> you more there for did a second. <laughs> That's where no, I'm going wrong in LA. I, I, I actually to... didn't. No. I find the, I find the American accent really, um, annoying yeah right having lived overseas for so long the hard thing with accent work is not getting the sounds right it's finding the nuance of personality within the sounds well, that's that you're it right creating. because my yeah. personality as georgina when i'm in australian is like it, it comes across in how i speak australian probably right um and with Amer an American accent, you, when you first are learning it, you start off with the basics and bringing in the sounds. And then your job is to somehow find you in that accent because mm -hmm. rather than it just being you plonking an accent on top of who you are. Right. So it's, it's, it's kind of a, that's the really difficult part is finding like the rhythm and the way to bring out your humor or your weirdness uh -huh. or your whatever makes you interesting as a person or different as a person like you right. have to find a way to express it in a different accent like that's the challenging and, part. and but it's it's enigmatic because could georgina have existed as an american you know what I mean? I guess she, yeah. I don't think so. I, mean, I, I would be, I guess you, I you would be, you. be slightly different. Or, or substantially different. I don't yeah. know, yeah. I wonder I, how different would we be though? Like It's a pretty different culture. Yeah, yeah. You know, but anyway, this, this girlfriend, this relates okay, to all this. Okay, sorry, so back so, to So she lady. grew up with those different languages as a kid. And one day we were hanging out in San Francisco. She, she came with me to San Francisco when I went to grad school. And she was talking to her mother on the phone. And I was just watching her and she's talking French. And then her mother put her father on the phone and she switched to Catalan. And then at the end of it, she hung up the phone and she turned and started talking to me in English. And I was, I was high. <laughs> okay. Like, I was smoking a joint while yeah. this was all happening, right? Sure. And I was 
really struck how it wasn't that that her name was Peggy. It, it wasn't that Peggy was speaking French and then Peggy was speaking Catalan and Peggy was speaking English. It was there was French Peggy, there was Catalan Peggy, and there was English Peggy. Like slightly different. They were different people. Wow. They were decidedly like her sense of humor was different. Her sense of patience was different. There was a there was an edge in Catalan that didn't exist in French. Or the way you're perceiving it was, you know, because if you don't speak those languages, you're observing. Yeah. From a well, but I was really I mean the fact that I don't speak French I think allowed me to focus more on her body language and her general yeah, okay. vibe, you yeah. know. And so anyway, I was at the time I was in graduate school. And I started thinking about this, like, you know, because I'd always just thought like, you know, and at the time I, I was learning Spanish. I learned Spanish as an adult when I moved to Spain. And I was aware that when I spoke Spanish, I was different. But I thought that and it is just because I'm, I'm less secure in Spanish because I know I'm making mistakes. I know I might say something ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I know, you know, I have to like pause and how do you conjugate that verb? Is this subjunctive? Fuck, yeah. I hate that shit, right? <laughs> Whereas in her case, she wasn't thinking at all. It was just, mm. and so anyway, I, I started researching multiple personality disorder and I found all these, all this interesting research where people who have multiple personalities have different physiological states that are associated with the different personality. So if someone has three personalities, they might have one personality where the blood pressure Resting blood pressure is 160 over 120. The blood pressure changes. Blood pressure changes. Oh my god. Their their uh, heart like base heart rate changes. So they're like more stressed in one personality and another person they're more relaxed. Wow. And here's the real kicker: interocular pressure changes. So one personality needs glasses to read and the other doesn't. Oh my god! Isn't that crazy? That's wild. Yeah. So. So there's all this fascinating research. So then I thought, well, I should do my doctoral dissertation on this. Mm -hmm. Because if people like her and my best friend who grew up speaking all these languages, if there are differing physiological states associated with those different linguistic personalities, mm -hmm. then we're not talking about one person speaking five languages. We're talking about one person whose brain reconfigures when they're speaking each language in a way that makes them a slightly different person. Mm -hmm. Like they would probably, in addition to the physiological changes, they would probably, you know, answer certain personality uh, profile questions differently. Mm. So you could actually really get into it and figure out like Russian Mike <laughs> is different from French Mike in these particular ways, you know? Yeah. And you, so anyway, really, I still think of it as being fascinating. I ended up doing this, you know, prehistory of sex, which mm. has worked out pretty well. But anyone out there listening to this who's in grad school, check it out. And, yeah. and the reason I bring it up is, you know, it relates to what you're talking about with acting, how when you get into a character, your, your body's changing, mm. you know, like you were, you know... In that, you're in a scene that's very stressful. But I also yeah. imagine, like, if you're playing a character who's, like, let's say you're playing um, a heroin addict. Mm -hmm. 
you know, when you get into that role, even if the scene isn't particularly stressful, mm -hmm. I imagine your body's going through changes, you know, hormonal mm -hmm. changes, right? Something yeah. Yeah. related to the depression you're, you know, you're feeling, yeah. the sadness, the, the sense like, you know, you're just barely hanging on. Mm. Do you, is it hard to get out of character? Mm. Well, I think, yeah, you have to be safe without trying to, it's a bit boring, but like, you know, you do have to be safe about it because um, we've seen over and over people who go into very dark places because they can't come out um, of, yeah, of of a maybe a place the character's taken them or not even the character, but just maybe like the, the repetition of, um, you know, having to take your mind and body into these areas that practice has grated on their um on them like emotionally and and um you know there's so many examples of artists who have who aren't with us anymore um and and i think yeah there has to be there has to you have to look after yourself and self-preservation has to <laughs> be first and foremost um do you think and there are ways you can you can come out of things, you know, like, and I think closure is a good thing, you mm. know, like if you can find a way to, to say goodbye to a character or to, um, come back to you at the end of the day, do, you know, do film sets have, is there any sort of ritualistic thing that you do together to no. end it? This a rap party where everyone gets drunk, you know? right. <laughs> but that in itself can be, it's a ritual. It's a ritual yeah. and, um, a good, it's for, yeah, for lacking anything else, it's for lack of anything else. It, it can be there can be closure there because you can have a bitch with everyone about what went wrong and what you could have done, and and you can say goodbye. Um, yeah, distances you from from <laughs> the character because yeah. now you're looking at it over there. Yeah, yeah, and but I think some people are more predisposed to to it than others, like I, to wanting to hang on to things. Like maybe they don't trust that they'll be able to get back there if they let go of it. So they mm. want to hang on to feelings more. Um, I wonder if, if there are actors who, you know, cause we're talking about like, I'm imagining from a psychological perspective, it's like you, you've got a home, that's you, you know who you are and you go out on vacation and you're in yeah. Siberia for a while and then you come home yeah. and then you go and you do something else and then you come yeah. home. I wonder about people who don't have a strong sense of home. Yeah. Yeah. And then they're, out and then the character becomes you know it's like these people you read about who live in hotels yeah you know like rich people in the past used to like live in a hotel well people have like, come to it really young that? you know that's what i'm saying they don't develop that yeah you know yeah. i mean like philip i don't know philip seymour everyone tells me i look like philip seymour Hoffman, so i have some like affinity sure. with oh, him yeah. You know? a little bit. yeah it's not a it's it's not something i actually love hearing that much you know yeah really but oh, thank you thank yeah you. i mean I, you, you know you're in la when people start comparing you to well people say like everyone. you look like yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman's younger, fitter, better looking brother. And it's like, <laughs> oh, great. Because they've anticipated where I'm going, how I'm going to hear it, you know? Okay. I remember one time someone was like, people love dude, you look like Philip Seymour Hoffman. And I'm like, yeah, right. You mean like the overweight, like not attractive. And he's like, dude, he's a great actor. It's like, <laughs> yeah, like I should feel better. <laughs> like, you know, fuck you. You didn't say I, I act like Philip Seymour Hoffman. <laughs> 
uh, what yeah. are we talking about? Oh, oh, like getting into like where the vacation becomes the home. Yeah. And there's nowhere to go back to. I sometimes wonder if that's what's happened to people like that, you know, that mm. are so fucking intense and mm. so, you know, you watch him performing and it's like, he's not performing. Like yeah. he's that person. How does he find his way back from there? And maybe he doesn't. Maybe that's why a guy like that's doing heroin. Like, what the yeah. fuck, man? Yeah, and I mean, like, or, you know, it can start, I know for a lot of people it starts with, oh, I can't sleep, so, oh, I'll get some sleeping pills or whatever. Right. And, you know, it can start right. really gently with yeah. gentle m- medications, if you, if you will. Yeah. Um, and that path can lead to all sorts of, places like yeah it um and then fame yeah i mean that i haven't really (laughs) had to deal with that much but that must be a very isolating thing for people who do walk down the street and can't are you worried about that um i (laughs) no i mean i don't really it's weird like obviously that level of success would be amazing because you get to pick your own projects and all of a sudden you're working in this whole other category um but yeah I I don't know I guess I feel pretty lucky to have like a a strong family unit and you know very grounded husband and just stuff that's that's like what you were saying like the home units really right like it's just it's there, it's solid. So right. I feel like that's gonna make any weirdness to do with fame much easier. Um, yeah, I, I think that's the keys to to have as much in your life that's rich and rewarding that's separate to any of that stuff. And people who you trust who will tell you when you start to get full of shit. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's really important. <laughs> Just let me know if there's ever too much bullshit without enough yeah. <laughs> but I think that's a good thing about Australian culture and maybe that's one of the differences between you know if you were American or being Australian I feel like there's some there's some sort of built in bullshit detection in Australians that I've known and you know and it works both ways I, I often talk about this Spanish friend of mine one time who said that um, we we're talking about American culture and he said the best and the worst thing about America is that you have no sense of the ridiculous. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So like you get, you make, you create these incredible artists and you, you yeah. know, these amazing technological breakthroughs that no one else would have even tried because it just seemed impossible. But you also have like, you know, styrofoam to go cups everywhere. Yeah, and, and now Donald Trump and is Donald president. Donald Trump, yeah, yeah. It's like just stuff that would never happen in, in a normal country happens over there, you yeah. know? Yeah, there is. Australian culture has like a self deprecating element to it where yeah. you. Sincerity is very, very carefully placed and very carefully monitored with being able to laugh about things and, right. and being, take the piss, take the piss. Yeah. yeah definitely um and you have the tall poppy thing you know even going to a wedding here i was i was yeah the tall poppy thing um but our weddings you know like they're they're great but like the speeches and ne- like 
their 80% like just stupid jokes and then like a bit of sincerity at the end. And yeah. I was shocked when I went to it. It was a beautiful wedding here. And I was talking to the, um, the bridesmaid and I was like, oh, your speech is going to be great. Don't worry. And, and I was like, everyone's going to laugh at your jokes. And she was like, what jokes? <laughs> and I was like, what, what? And she got up and she gave the most sincere, heartfelt, oh, oh. like I've grown, you know, she, she talked about how, yeah, this was a beautiful friendship and she was so happy and it was, and it was incredibly moving. But I was like, I, I just was like, this would never happen in Australia. Yeah. And I was like, I couldn't work out if that was what that really meant. But um, just the, I was like, it's an amazing thing. The ability to be able to give a heartfelt, sincere speech without one joke or self-deprecating thing or, you know, like it was, it was a shock. I was, it was a kind of, it was interesting to me. Um, Would you find it difficult to play that kind of character? No, because it's beautiful, and no, like I think there's there is enough heartfelt uh, feelings. <laughs> like it's not something I can't connect to. Right. Um, what no. What could you not connect to? Is are there characters that you've been pitched or you know screenplays you've read where you're just like, yeah, I just can't, I can't do um, that. Whether it's, I mean, imagine, for example, I, I had a teacher in graduate school who said it's really important for psychotherapists, which is what I was training to be, yeah. um, to know what kind of clients you cannot work with because mm. you can't feel compassion for them. And his example was, I can never work with someone who has sexually abused kids okay. because I was sexually abused and, and I can never not, I, I can never get past my own experience to be neutral and accepting and compassionate. Yeah. So I wonder as an actor, is there, is there the similar thing? I mean, here you are about to be a mother. Like what if you were offered a role of, you know, a mom uh, killing her kids or something. Yeah. Or someone who stole a baby from a hospital or, right. you know, you're, yeah. I mean, um, I don't know. I mean, yeah. Like I think about Medea, like that, you know, I, I think, to play Medea, you'd probably being a mother would be essential to be able to truly connect with her. That's a Greek play where the right. mum kills the children in, to re avenge her husband. Um, but whether you'd want to or not is another question. You probably yeah. wouldn't want. I mean, it it would be it'd be rough. You know, it would be really rough. Is there part um, of you? I mean, is there a? But I think part of cla like why classical like classical plays and uh, the language gives you a buoyancy with that stuff uh, in a different way to contemporary work. So right. yeah, doing something like Medea or even Shakespeare, like the language does so much of the work for you. you of course you still have to invest emotionally, but um, you know, there's a, a beauty to it and a kind of, yeah, like you, I, I know, I feel like it adds a, it adds protection almost mm. because yeah the poetry's there it's like a um, formality that yeah. distances you a little well yeah but you can't you, it still has to be completely real otherwise it's the worst thing to like it's the, it's the most horrible thing to go watch a shakespeare where people are just doing the words and the right. emotions aren't there but yeah. um yeah i think it's all i think it's all about the writing like it, you could attempt any subject matter as long as the writing's smart and and truthful and the things that put me off are when I read, yeah, read things that are 
you know, it's a really tough, horrible story, but it hasn't been approached properly. It's, mm. you know, or often women are written. So <laughs> I don't know, like in a boring way, you're just like, oh, where's this is tragic, but where's the humor, you know, like, right. or oh, this is hu humorous, but where's the tragedy, you know, like right. so sometimes, yeah, it's a one dimensional it, victim. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All that stuff. Yeah. Um, I feel like you can approach anything as long as it's got dimensions to it. And yeah. Yeah. Do you, I mean, when you're, you've delivered your baby and your body is your own again, <laughs> yeah. is there part of you that sort of yearns for the really, uh, like the, the character that's as far away from the real you as possible. Is that like the, is that the, like the mountain <laughs> near climbing the highest peak? Is that mm. from an acting perspective? Is that the biggest challenge? Yeah, I'm trying to think what that would even be. I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, like the role of a lifetime kind of stuff. Like, yeah. like, um, I forget his name. The guy who plays the, the, the transsexual and in, in transparent. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, he's like a comic actor. Yeah. Now he's like, what a fascinating yeah. role for him to play, you know? Or, um, yeah, I don't know. You know, Robert yeah, De Niro is I immediately these... thought of Kate Blanchett playing um, Bob Dylan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, that's you know, like, crazy. Yeah. And or who was, so uh, awesome. who's that great South, South African actress, super beautiful? Um, Charlize Theron? Yeah. She played oh, some like in Monster? Monster, yeah. yeah. Like, an ugly, you know, mm. like yeah. Like to just like leave your yeah. your beauty and your kindness and like everything that makes you wonderful, drop it all and go into Yeah, if you're given that opportunity, oof. you're it, it's amazing. Yeah. You know? To really show what you can do. But it but you know, getting back to what we were talking about earlier, it must be really disruptive. Because that's like we're talking about leaving your home. That's a distant vacation, you know. Yeah. But some people prefer that to playing something closer to themselves. Because ah, it's less confusing. Maybe. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And, and also stronger choices can be um, more comforting in a way because you can. Yeah, you can go big. You can you can change everything. You, you can. There's like a clearness to it, you know, mm. like doing big brush strokes on a canvas. Like, oh, right. Whereas sometimes when you're given something that's very domestic and you and, and or just slightly different, it, it's harder to know how much of yourself to bring to it or not. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. I wonder if Larry David, like how he yeah. deals with it. Right. Because <laughs> it's like he's playing himself kind of. Just, oh. just a little amplified. I'd love to know. How, yeah, I mean, I've never met him. Is that? Is he like that yeah. in real life? Yeah. yeah. I, a friend of mine is a, an editor on that show, and I know some other people who work on the show, and they all say, yeah, it's like Larry David is Larry David. Yeah. He just well, when you're writing it notices. yourself as well, I think yeah. it's much easier because if you're writing and able to just exaggerate a certain element of yourself, that's yeah. that's yeah awesome and um <laughs> maybe easier than if someone else is writing it and you're trying to then yeah, yeah fit into their mold but it must be funny i love larry day i do too <laughs> i i remember walking past him in hollywood and nearly like having to like squat on the ground i was just like <gasps> i don't know just was so starstruck by him for some reason maybe because he plays when you when you watch a TV show and someone's playing a character so close to them, you feel like you you know them. You know them, yeah. yeah. So it's even. Well, that's a weird crazy. thing. Like talking about fame, 
you know, if people recognize you on the street, it's like, you know, you played some character. So they don't know you. They don't even think they know you, right? Unless yeah. it's a Larry David situation. Yeah. My tiny little sliver of fame is weird because the people who know me know me through this. Yeah, and this, and is, this you. is me. Yeah. So it's really strange. I met this this. And it really is. You were just like this on the plane. I mean, this is. <laughs> probably I can't more even fun detect on the plane. a difference. Yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, I, I don't play a role here. I, I, yeah. I'm not an actor. It would be really hard. Although I am an award-winning porn actor. <laughs> I know. You did, did tell, I tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> I told you that on the plane. See, most people would have changed their seat immediately at that point. <laughs> that's the best. That's the most hilarious. Yeah. You've got to wear that. Oh, man. I have to, the trophy. It's like solid. It's a heavy solid trophy i thought it would be like where is it is it a doorstop or do you have it online no it's on my shelf in my new place come out to topanga i'll show you my porn trophy baby (laughs) (laughs) ditch the husband i use it all the time it's yet to work (laughs) um no what were we talking about there oh oh yeah larry david oh yeah when you're playing someone really close to yourself being real yeah it's a strange thing Strange thing, but the yeah, extent... Yeah, it must be crazy being him and having to deal with... You know, yeah. Probably gives him more I sat, material. actually, my first, like, Hollywood lunch, you know, when mm-hmm. I, I came to LA a couple of years ago to... These production companies were talking about doing um, a TV show based on Sex at Dawn, you know, whatever. Like a documentary series or... A, well, a yeah, I mean, there were all sorts of different ideas... I mean, do you know who Anthony Bourdain is? He does um, no reservations. He's a, he was a chef, and he goes around the world, looks at food and different yeah, cultures. Yeah, And he's a character, right? Like, he was a junkie, and he's like a no-bullshit character. He's a really interesting guy. Mm-hmm. I like him a lot. And so everybody was pitching me as I would be the Anthony Bourdain of sex. Mm-hmm. So I'd go around the world, and like, yeah, now we're in Bangkok, and you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, go to a ping-pong show. What's this all about? You know, when I last time I was in Bangkok, I saw I had the local one of the live sex shows. No, no, I've never. I don't think I've been to a sex show in Bangkok. I ended up at one when I was backpacking around what? when I was like eighteen. Yeah, it was the it ping was, pong and bananas. Yeah, and all because that. it was one of these things that all the tourists were like, "Oh yeah, just go." They're really funny. They're really funny. Just go check them out, and right. you kind of go in not thinking about it and. Um, as like, oh, yes, it's like a funny tourist thing to do. And it was, it was really awful. Like, yeah. I felt awful being, yeah. seeing it. Anyway, that's a side tangent. But um, yeah. I think that's why I never did it. I knew I'd feel awful. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it yeah. was weird. I like Thailand a lot, but I, I, I can't wrap my head around, uh, you know, I, I just can't wrap my head around having sex with someone who doesn't want to have sex with me. That's you know? probably a good thing. Yeah. You, yeah. I mean, even someone who's neutral. It's amazing how common that people don't care in a way. I, yeah. It's like, yeah. it doesn't bother so many people. I, and I'm not judgmental about it, you know, as long as consent is, I mean, I like, yeah. I have friends who are sex workers and, you know, whatever it's, it's people do what they do, but yeah. But um, for me personally, I think I just feel, I would feel so ugly that mm. I couldn't enjoy it, you know? So, uh, but anyway, what the hell was, oh, last time I was in Bangkok, 
there was a tra- it was transsexuals um, playing elephant polo. What? And I was like, man, that's the story. That's what I would do if I had a TV show. That's I would cool. I would like get embedded on the transsexual elephant polo team <laughs> and see what's going on there. What's elephant polo? They play polo on elephants. Oh. Yeah. So they're like riding around on oh, elephants, on you know, elephants. swinging the thing and hitting the ball and Oh my. Yeah. Wow. But this entire team was transsexuals and they were in a league with other elephant polo teams, but they were the transsexual team. So there's enough people into elephant polo to warrant non-transsexual. Like, yeah, there's a league. <laughs> yeah. And there, and actually another story I would do was the champion Thai kickboxer was a transsexual. Mm-hmm. So, but non-pre-op. So it was a biological woman. Mm-hmm. who was literally kicking everyone's ass in Thai kickboxing, was the champion. Cool. Yeah. And so, That's awesome. you know, in the ring, looked like a man, dressed like a man, fought like a man, mm-hmm. out of the ring, back to being a woman. Mm-hmm. Wow, what an interesting country. Yeah. And everyone's just like, yeah, whatever. That's the way, you know, they just roll with it. And here's, a, here's another interesting thing that, you yeah. know, few people would mention. Because I've grown marijuana a lot, and I like like marijuana. Mm-hmm. The the marijuana that professional growers will never use is Thai marijuana because Thai marijuana is the most likely to go hermaphrodite and ah. mess up your crop and have male and female sex organs. And if you have male sex organs, it ruins your your crop. So I don't know if there's something in the water. I don't know what's That's- going on in Thailand. Yeah. But yeah, that whole sexual ambiguity thing extends to the plants. It seemed a very accepting place in that sense too yeah. when you're there. Like it's yeah, yeah, it's they're very great. chill. I, yeah. I love Thailand. Yeah. How the hell did we get into Thailand? Um, oh, my TV show. Your TV show. Yeah. yeah. So you're meeting. You're talking about your meeting. Oh, that's right. The first lunch <laughs> meeting I had with like yeah. agents and producers and all that. Yeah, yeah. Larry David was sitting at the table right next to us. Oh and, my God. and he it's was a, like concentrate when loud like, oh. and, you know, like, and I really was tempted to like lean over and say, excuse me, sir, you know, we're trying to have a, you know, conversation. Here. <laughs> just like, to see what he would do. <laughs> just give him shit like he would give someone else. I wonder if he situation. gets baited much. He probably does, probably the poor guy. Does. People are like, I'm just going to p- do something to piss him off to see if it ends up in Create his TV show. Create a Larry David moment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's funny. Um, for the Gulag Mouse, when I went and met with the director and producer, Paul McCartney was sitting on the table next to us and I could not concentrate for one second during that whole lunch. Was he, he wasn't part of your lunch? No, he was was just at a table next to me. But the weird thing was the day before I'd been listening to all these Paul McCartney songs that I'd never heard before. And I listened to Dear John, the song he wrote when, um, after John died. And Mm. I don't know why I was listening to those songs in that particular moment. But then there he was, and it was, yeah. That's the weird thing about L.A. Is that, you know, there are a lot of weird things about L.A. But running into, the first day I came here, I was invited to Moby's birthday party. <laughs> Do you know who Moby yeah, was? Yeah, I know. Yeah. I, know. I, I vaguely knew I who he was. I had his album when I was 15. It was one of that and the Spice Girls, I think. That was, oh. <laughs> they were my 
15 year old albums wow. Moby crazy I, I told you about my first day in LA and how mad it oh, was oh that's right yeah, yeah like you got in a car accident disaster mm-hmm. yeah yeah, but then some some famous person was nice to you. Yeah, what was the kind story? Of, yeah. T- so tell I, us I, the story. Well, I got in a car accident. My friend was driving. We got hit from behind. So this is before you slept. You, before you I slept, arrived. You're right. jet lagged like crazy. So I was standing at the Standard Hotel in West Hollywood. That I do need to preface it with that because that's part of the story. So, um, yeah, I when you when you come in from Australia, you get in really early, six thirty in the morning, and you normally you haven't slept because you've sort of flown during your day. So you get in and you're all confused and um, normally asking questions like, what am I doing here? Um, Anyway, so then I dropped my bags off at the standard. I couldn't check in. So I went with my friend who picked me up and to go with, I don't know, we went and she had a costume fitting or something. And I think we were in Beverly Hills. I I wasn't even really sure because I had never been in LA. But someone hit us from behind and then we hit the car in front of us. Mm. She hit her head on the steering wheel. She was bleeding. And it was, it was horrible. We all, three cars pulled over. I called um, 911 because I had no idea what else to do. And all of a sudden the fire, this fire truck showed up. I was like, what is the fire truck doing here? Without realizing that's what happens when you call 911. Um, and they were great. And then the cops showed up and they were really rude to us and questioning my friend saying, oh, well, she... She can't have been wearing her seatbelt correctly if she hit her head on the steering wheel and all this sort of stuff. Now you drop into American sure, accent. Sure, I can. Nice, yeah, nice. I can do Beverly Hills cops. Um, and the guy who fell asleep at the wheel, who hit us from behind, they just let him go. And he had a girl in the car with him, and so we were questioning what was going on there. How can you fall asleep when you've got another person in the car with mm. you? We kind of had our suspicions During that something else was going on. Like um, sex? <laughs> well, maybe he was, yeah, something. Getting a blowjob? That's what we, that was our hypothesis. Although, wouldn't she have bit no his dick off <laughs> yeah. on impact? And maybe she did. Although, but. he would have been in more pain, probably. He seemed pretty... yeah anyway so the whole thing was awful eventually the cops let us go and i threatened to make a complaint because i was just thought the way they were dealing with us was horrible anyway so then we i got back to the hotel i'd kept it together because my friend had been upset and i was trying to be strong for her but then yeah i got to the front desk and they said um you know are you ready to check in and and I just burst into tears in the front lobby. It's kind of a uber hip right. hotel, you know, right. all these cactuses and they have a girl on an iPad in a glass box behind the reception. It's really... What's she doing weird. with her iPad? No, like checking your emails. <laughs> so like, she's a live girl? Yeah, like a live girl. It's really weird. Is she um, nude? No. No, she had clothes on. So she's just sitting in a like in an aquarium. Yeah, like checking it, her email. Yeah, well, or you know, sh- I, I don't know, reading the paper on her. I, what a she's job! On her iPad. She could be doing anything. It's a doku. What a job! I don't want to assume what she was doing on her iPad. <laughs> she was. She had an iPad, and she could have been doing anything. Anyway. Anyway, so it's, you're it's checking in. It's hip, and you know, yeah. it's all. It's it's very LA, and so anyway, I hadn't checked in out, so I was checking in. And I just burst into tears um, to this receptionist um, because the whole thing had been so stressful with the car crash and, yeah. I, and just and being in LA slept. by myself. I hadn't slept. And, um, and yeah, I just, I burst into tears and I started. I'm going to take your picture. Apo- okay. Take and, um, and I apologized and said, I'm, I'm, 
I'm so sorry. And, and she, she seemed so unmoved. Like it was kind of like, it seemed like people must cry a lot there <laughs> or something. Cause she was so unfazed by my crying. She was just like, your room number is 275. And like the crying, it just didn't mean anything. I was yeah. like, what is this place? Yeah. Like, people, do people cry a lot here? And then um, one of the waiters, bless him, pulled me aside and he was like, oh my God, are you okay? And I was like, I'm sorry, I've been in a car accident and I just got to LA, I don't know what I'm doing. And he's like, all right, all right, just come sit down. I'll get you a drink, what do you want? I was like, double scotch and soda. <laughs> so he goes and gets me a huge drink, which I desperately needed. Like the double. It's got to be the double. <laughs> it's got to be a double. Like, it's free. I'm getting a double. double. Um, <laughs> single malt scotch, please. <laughs> single malt. What, yeah, what, age, do you, what ages do you have? Um, yeah. And bless him, he got it. <laughs> And I, was, and I was just like, I'm so sorry, I'm making a scene. And he was like, oh, honey, don't worry. This is the standard. I mean, crazy shit happens here all the time. I mean, yesterday I went into the parking lot and there were these uh, midgets racing their scooters around. And then one of them did a number two. And I mean, what am I supposed to do in that situation? And I was like, it's like the tears sucked back into my eyes. And I was like, what? You, a midget number two in the parking were, lot? Midgets were racing each other on, um, on scooters. And then one of them did a, did a poo. And so I clarified, I was like, are you saying, yeah, like what? And he was like, yeah. And I mean, and then he went into this whole, bless him. He was, he was so upset about how to deal with the situation. He was like, I mean, I didn't know the politically correct terms to use. And how do you, like, how do you politely tell someone to not, you know, do a shit in the parking lot? And, and, I, and I, all of a sudden, so, the, this moment felt so surreal. And between the scotch and, and what he just told me, I, I just, I felt, I don't know if I felt better, but I felt something other than... <laughs> You've arrived. <laughs> yeah. Welcome. And then, and then he was like, oh, and then in the evening, someone, one of the guests, chimpanzee, had escaped from the room and was knocking on all these people's doors. And I mean, again, I was like, how do I deal with this? So I was like, okay, the two problems that have taken up your day, uh, like, what is, what is this world? What, what world have I stepped into? And... Um, and and yeah, and it was it was completely bizarre and <laughs> kind of the best introduction to LA anyone could hope for, really. <laughs> oh God. It, yeah, yeah. Wow. So Yeah. It's the land of dreams. <laughs> there yeah. it is. Yeah. You don't get to pick your dreams, right? They just happen. Yeah. That's the thing about dreams. All this lucid dreaming, I want to control my dreams. Fuck you, just dream, <laughs> right? You gotta have a one part of your life you don't control. <laughs> yeah, well that felt like a dream in that moment. Yeah. Even looking back on it, you know, cause jet lag can feel, Yeah. if people have, Australians probably spent half their life feeling jet lag, but anyone who's felt it really badly, you can feel hungover and sort of out of, you can feel this out of body experience. Sort of semi-conscious. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because your body is so set in its rhythms and all of a sudden you're shaking it up and you yeah. look, your digestive systems all over the place. I recommend, um, probiotics. They've really helped is that me. What you <laughs> That's, is there a brand, get, a particular brand? You'd no, like just to any recommend? good quality probiotic people that and melatonin. It's going to, yeah. it's going to see you through. But yeah, it was, the whole thing was, 
crazy and and in a way I'm amazed I moved here because I sort of in that moment thought like I can't live here. Did you move here because of a job uh, or Um, did you just you're chasing your dream or what were you one of these fresh-faced kids? uh, Well I just in a yeah maybe the the link between Australia and the US has gotten a lot um, stronger in terms of with casting agents now US casting agents actively hire Australian casting agents to put Australians down for U.S. pilots, U.S. productions, not just stuff filming in Australia, but stuff filming all over the world. So and you were doing pretty well in Australia. You were in a series. Yeah, right? like I was working pretty consistently on yeah. a few different things. And, and I started putting down tapes for U.S. projects with Australian casting agents. And then getting I got quite close to a few things. And so all of a sudden, without even really doing anything, I was in Australia. All of a sudden, I was like, well, hang on, what's this place where people are interested in me for these jobs potentially like should I should I go there and meet mm. these people like right. what do I what do I do so uh, we've got the, the Mexican leaf blower uh, outside I think all leaf blowers should be banned oh they are banned that's the crazy they thing are? they're illegal are they illegal they, they, nobody gives a shit yeah oh I think leaf to me leaf blowers emblemize like Everything bad in society. Everything bad. <laughs> they're loud. They pollute. They're they're and they're totally useless. You just get a broom. Well, and even it's well, what, what do you do? You the- blow it over there, and then you, five minutes later, the wind blows it right back. Yeah. Like who gives a damn? You know? Yeah. I don't know what's going on. I don't know. He's doing something to the car. No, oh. he's just blowing. I don't know. Anyway, that's the, the end of the stories. The moral of the story is: take probiotics, follow your dreams. Um, <laughs> <laughs> don't. Don't worry about, you know, first impressions. <laughs> Do you? So, okay, this is a kind of a personal question, but it relates yeah. to all these things we're talking about. When you're, like, do you, how can I say this? Like, I, I feel like dealing with women is interesting because, um, you know, women change so much during their menstrual cycle. <laughs> Really? Some of them. I yeah. mean, like, as in, when you say dealing, you just mean... I mean, like, living with a woman. Like, living with a woman, or... Because you're, you're married, aren't you? Mm, yeah. Okay. Well, we don't need to define <laughs> sort of, things. Sort of. Cool. Um, but, you know, it's just... It's... I think one of the differences... But some change more than others. Yeah, it's, true. It, I think, and, and, you know, men... You know, all these cultures see men are like the sun, right? It's the same. It's the same. And then the moon is constantly changing. Yeah. That's the feminine, you know. Okay. So I'm just wondering, as an actor, is it does that affect your ability to get into roles? You know what I mean? Like being on my period. Like, well, that... if you, if you're in a different state of consciousness, because <laughs> yeah. you know it could be PMS, it could be you're ovulating. I mean, there's all this research. This is part uh, of my research, yeah. right? Well, the think... women act differently when they're ovulating. They wear more makeup. They wear more perfume. They're more likely to have a one night stand like yeah. behavior changes yeah, yeah, because yeah. of the hormonal fluctuations. Yeah, yeah. I abs- sure. And um even stuff like if you're doing a, an emotional scene, your emotions can be closer to the surface right. when you're in certain stages of your cycle. Like right. when you have PMS, um you know, you it's <laughs> you're closer to I find it, you know, you're closer to tears. Right. You know, you can you feel more emotional, so yeah. yeah but um, I try. It's hard because you don't want to then get into a trap of 
oh, I can only act this way when I'm on my cycle. Um, can we do this scene on yeah, Thursday? Yeah, because I'll be super emotionally like ready. <laughs> like, like yeah. it's, it's a trap. Um, it's an interesting thing to be aware of. Yeah. Um, and it just might mean the techniques you use are different depending. I'll bet but when, maybe you, know, it's when not, you become oh. a superstar, that could be one of the perks. <laughs> that you could look at the shooting schedule and be like, you know what, we're going to do this sure. scene yeah. that week and yeah. save this for that week. Maybe when you have that clout, you, that's, yeah. That's, that's how Meryl Streep became so famous. Menstrual clout. <laughs> Menstrual clout. <laughs> you mean like, yep. Hey. Sure. Menstrualclout.com. I'll bet it's available. <laughs> do you, but do you think, um, I've had male friends who tell me they feel like they're on a cycle um, as well, but that it's sort of more a three month, it's like a longer, like, but they feel like every three months they have like an how emotional dip. How would you even notice that? I don't that? know. I don't I mean, know. But I, they say they do. And how, who am I to argue otherwise? I'm not a guy. I don't know. I don't what know. It's like. I don't know. I mean, I have dips and you know, peaks and troughs, but I, I can't keep track of stuff. I can't even figure out people who are like, oh, no, you know, when I, when I eat wheat, you know, I, it's like, I really, I don't notice. I just, you know, I feel better and worse and I eat things and I don't yeah. know what's correlated to what. Yeah. I don't know. Aside from like, you know, I guess I'm just not that careful in tune with your body it could be that too <laughs> need be to that be more too. in tune I'm, I, I'm happy in my obliviousness yeah you know I see my my body is like a four wheel drive it's just like it's yeah, not going to win any races but it it gets it's reliable. there it's pretty reliable so yeah. far yeah it's like Subaru reliable kind of rough. except for the lesbian thing but yeah <laughs> okay you know Subarus are really popular with lesbians ah. it's, you know, having lived in Portland I can I can verify that. Interesting. All right, so we have to go get lunch. Yes. And we've got a fucking leaf blower uh, who's not, not going to leave us alone. So uh, we'll wrap this up. Thank you. Is there, is there where can people learn about you and your <laughs> and your feet? Uh, oh gosh, I I don't know. Um, you have I've, I've you don't have a like a web page of, of your own. Um, no, no, I I don't know. Learning about, I don't know, learning about me. Do you know what? I, I've Do you have an added, upcoming I added some stuff to my Wikipedia because it was so poorly written. And mm. I made up a name and just added like some facts oh. because I, and I felt really like powerful in doing that. I'm like, I can just. It's the internet. Anyone can write anything. Wow, I tried to do that this. and I got in lots of trouble. What do you mean? Because I have a, there's a Wikipedia page about me and yeah. I tried to like just correct a couple of What's facts. What's wrong with that? They don't let you. You can't. Oh. You can't. My you know, deal with get your own thing. Now. Well, no, they're not listening. I don't think they listen. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I don't know. Go what? Um, some of the stuff I'm proud of is the mule, which was an Australian Look, the, film. The Mexicans like coming into the room here. He's he's right outside the window now. You know, the funny thing is, our front garden, which is now being gardened, is literally just grass and one plant <laughs> but i love that but he's being controlled he's by, yeah. leaf blowing your one plant yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, i i yeah. did um you know i've done i've i've done interviews for lots of documentaries in la mm -hmm. and they have to be really careful not to park their camera trucks in front of the building where they're the house where they're doing the shooting because mm -hmm. these guys will drive around and they'll see the trucks and they'll get out of the truck and they'll start making lots of noise in the street so that the camera crew will come out and pay them to leave 
What? Yeah. Yeah. And this happened. I was sitting doing this interview and they had to shut everything down and some guy had to go outside and, you know, offer him a hundred bucks or something to leave. Wow. And he's like, man, it happens every time. I forgot. I parked the truck in front. Thank you for doing this. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Thank you to everybody who supports the podcast through Patreon.com. You can decide how much you want to give the podcast, a buck a month, five bucks a month, ten bucks a month, or you can get completely crazy and give 20 bucks a month or more. Or you can give nothing. If you don't have any cash, don't worry about it. Just enjoy the podcast and tell your friends. The other way you can support the podcast is if you buy shit through Amazon.com or you know someone who does, please direct them through the link on my page chrisryanphd.com you click on that baby once bookmark the landing page on amazon and then eight to ten percent of whatever you spend will come to support the podcast at no extra cost to you or your loved ones thank you to basin and range for that opening music at the beginning of the podcast very funky little tune there uh called the bright side of the sun i believe you can find out more about them at basinandrangeband.com if you want to talk about the podcast with other listeners a good place to do that is on reddit just search tangentially speaking all one word there's a community of a couple hundred people in there chatting about the episodes i drop in occasionally and say hello answer questions whatever uh thanks to shore design t-shirts our garage is full of them my mom has them all organized as only she can julie thank you to julie my mom she'll send those t-shirts out to you if you order them everything we've got in stock is from shore design t-shirts in Thailand, and you can check out their webpage as well for other designs. Thank you to Carsey Blanton. You can find out more about Carsey Blanton at CarseyBlanton.com. C-A-R-S-I-E-B-L-A-N-T-O-N.com. She wrote and performed the song you're about to hear, which is called Smoke Alarm, and it's a reminder to carpe fucking diem while you still can because, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to die one day. Here's to you, Bennett. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm going to die one day. Why do you waste your time thinking about your reputation? Trying to meet an expectation, wondering what they're gonna say. When everyone you've ever known is headed for a headstone. I don't want to give the end away, but we're gonna die one day. Your body is an animal. Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up but give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Thinking about a reputation say <laughs> when 
So baby, what's a big deal? If you wanna be free, say what you wanna feel. Spend the night with me. I'm gonna take you up in my arms, and if we must go down, we'll go singing to the smoke alarms. We'll dance into the ground.